Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence to encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. You can learn more about us at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. But today we're uh, beginning a brand new sermon series called Core Strength. And don't worry, I'm not about to throw on a P90X workout video. Um, though I did think about, like, dressing up and, like, really trying to, like, play the part here. Uh, but I figured that would be funny for a whole minute. And then, then I'd have to stand up here and preach in that for the rest of the time. So we're not going to do that. Um, but instead, uh, for the next nine weeks, uh, we're going to be going through the book of Colossians. Colossians, like a lot of the books in the New Testament, is a letter from the Apostle Paul to uh, one of the many churches that were quickly being established. Um, Colossians was written to a church in the city called Colossae, which is in a beautiful valley in modern-day Turkey. And it's about 100 miles away from another city called Ephesus, which is where the letter to the Ephesians was written, if you've ever read that one. Um, The church was probably founded by a pastor, a leader named Epaphras, as we'll soon see here as we jump into Colossians chapter 1. But we basically see that Epaphras has given a report to the Apostle Paul, and Paul is writing in response to this report that he's received. The purpose of this letter uh, was to combat some false teachings that were negatively impacting the Colossian church, specifically regarding the doctrine of Jesus Christ and how this doctrine affects Christian living. Paul argues that Christ is absolutely preeminent, which means he's surpassing all others, and that he's perfectly absolute for the Christian, and that the Christian life naturally flows out of this revelation. There are a couple weird big terms. We're going to jump into those in future weeks. Uh, this week, I'm just blessed to kind of get to set us up here. Um, I'm like the I'm like the uh, holder on a point after touchdown. I just get to tee it up for Pastor Chris and many others who will be coming in the future weeks. So we'll jump into some of those big terms later on. But today we're going to jump into Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a phone, feel free to follow along on there. It'll be on the screen as well. Colossians 1, 1 through 14, I'm reading in the NIV. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people and the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. You learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, who has told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious purpose, glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving thankfulness 
giving joyful thanks to the Lord who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That was all one sentence, by the way. Paul, Paul never got a grammar lesson on run-ons. For he, Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that it has endured so many trials and tests for over 2,000 years. No one's been able to debunk this, um, both from like a scholarly level of this is legit, this is real, um, but also from a, a, a spiritual, ontological level, God, that this just transcends any relevant truth that may be being taught in our midst. God, these principles and these statements remain just as true today as they did when they were given about 2,000 years ago. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to work on our hearts today, to make us sensitive to things that you want to tweak and change and disrupt. And God, we just pray that as we walk out of here today, you would uh, lead us towards a, a holy ambition, a, a holy anticipation for everything that you want to, to work through as we consider the letter to the Colossians over the next nine weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul kicks off this letter on a positive note. And if you have read uh, other of Paul's letters, you know that's not always the case. Um, sometimes uh, Paul starts a letter like this, and he's got a lot of nice things to say. And other times he kind of speeds through the pleasantries because maybe he doesn't have that many to give. And he says, we got some things to critique. We've got some things to work on. But that's not the case with this letter. Um, Paul seems to be in a really happy, good mood. And that doesn't mean that there's not going to be some things that he's not going to correct and tweak. I mean, that's the whole reason why they wrote letters like this, which is, hey, we've heard this is going on. We've heard you've been combating this. This is what you need to do about it. But overall, like the tone of Paul in this is like very positive. He's very thankful and grateful for the church and what God's doing through them. And it's, it's good news. And so um, I like to think of this like when you're communicating with your boss. Have you ever had that moment where maybe like an email pops up and you're kind of like, oh no, what am I about to get into? Do I even want to open this right now? Should I wait till after lunch? We'll just work on this one later. Um, but then you open it, and you're like, oh, wow, no, this is great. They, they were very nice. They complimented my work. Like, oh, this is great. I, I can reply right now. I'm not busy. Um, and I'm not referring to my boss, by the way. Um, talking about all of your bosses and my former bosses. I love you, Pastor Chris, and miss you this Sunday. Sometimes Paul gets to celebrate some when he writes a letter. Um, he might have some concerns or important notes to address, um, but other times you can tell Paul just really speeds through this and uh, just moves into his corrections. But Paul sits in this moment of thanksgiving for a second. He doesn't just move along to say his concerns. He takes a moment to celebrate. But notice, the Colossian people don't get the praise for why he is celebrating um, instead, the gospel message has done something really special in Colossae and specifically through their church. And Paul is celebrating the fact that the gospel is alive and well and is doing something special. He reflects on the power of the gospel, noting first how they heard it, and second, that it works within them powerfully like it is all over the world. 
Paul says that the Colossians heard the gospel from a man named Epaphras. Many theologians believe that Epaphras could have been like the the church planter or the founding pastor of this church community. Uh, We don't know that for sure. If anything, he's probably at least a founding leader and for sure like a notable leader because otherwise they wouldn't have put his name in a letter like this. Um, When when they would send letters like this, they would gather together and read them. And so when he's just going to like say a name without any context, it's like they know who Epaphras is. Epaphras knows Paul now, um, probably through some sort of ministry interaction. Uh, Some people think maybe he wandered over to Ephesus at some point where Paul was there. Um, But at this point, we gain from the letter that Paul has not even actually been to Colossae yet. Um, He's just strictly writing off this report that he's received. Um, But notice, Paul doesn't say, like, Epaphras has shared a list of amazing programs and statistics and efforts that you're all doing. So, I'm praising God for the work that you're doing. No. Paul says that he's thankful, in verse 6, that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. This is not a people-centered thankfulness. This is a gospel-centered thankfulness. He doesn't praise them for being great doers and having great programs and busy, productive things that we often judge and measure churches' success by. But instead, he says the gospel is bearing fruit. And because of that, I celebrate. I'm excited about what God is doing in your midst. And it's too easy to fall into arbitrary statistics and measurements of like what success is in this world of church. It's too easy to get wrapped up wrapped up in attendance, production, and other surface-level things that we judge churches by. And I'm not saying that those matter. They do. There's really important things that we can draw from them. Um, but at the, most of the time, like, we make those kinds of metrics, like priority number one, two, and three, um, rather than maybe like five, six, and seven. But there's probably some, some other gauges of success that we could measure before we start looking at some of these arbitrary surface-level things that we often judge a community by. But when you start to do what Paul does here, and you begin to consider how the gospel is working within a community, you find reason to praise regardless of how big you are, regardless of how influential and how powerful you are, because all of a sudden you're starting to reflect on testimonies. You're going to say, you know, that person over there, like, we met them at this environment, and they were totally into this, and we got to share the gospel with them. They've, they've been in our community since, and it's just been absolutely incredible. You get to celebrate people overcoming sin. You get to be in a small group where people are confessing and talking about difficult things, and you're seeing, like, growth and change, and you're seeing just the gospel at work within people. It's a special, special thing. When we step back from some of these arbitrary things and we start to say, how is the gospel working in our midst? All of a sudden, you're like, there are countless reasons to celebrate, to be thankful, to praise God for what he's doing. It's no secret that the pandemic really did a number on like the global church's attendance. Um, if you look, most churches, even really big churches, um, have on average recovered to about one-third of the size that they were pre-pandemic. Um, and that's not the case for every community. There certainly are some that have maintained throughout um, or have kind of caught back up since. But statistically, um, some of the best experts have gone out and said, no, it looks like the average church is about one-third of what they were uh, compared to three years ago. And if we're going to judge the global church based off of attendance, 
we have some really negative news to reflect on here. That's not going to be a happy conversation for us. But I think we could all step back and say, no, I think God's been working and doing some amazing things. Even though the church doesn't look as mighty as maybe it felt and looked like three years ago. God's still been doing incredible things in our midst. We can still recount things he did through our church and through that church across town and that church I used to be connected with in another city. It's like just because attendance is down, it doesn't mean that the church has just like ceased to exist and operate and function. God has been doing something and there's reason to celebrate. And this trend is truly the case throughout all of history. You can look back different centuries and different eras. Things are always up and down. There's times where the church has a ton of prominence. They've got a lot of social influence and power. It's like the norm to be a Christian. It's the norm to be about Christian values. And then there's times where it seems like the church has just dwindled down to nothing and it's hanging on by a thread. But the truth is, God works when the church is at its largest and he works when it's small and filled with potential and faith. So do I celebrate influential churches and the work that they do? Absolutely. There are some communities, churches are like the biggest provider of social needs or or care for issues in a city. There are churches big enough that like if they were to disappear, like whole communities would go into poverty. Um, People that have access to certain resources would have nowhere to go or would get backed up in government processes. There are churches that essential to communities, and I'm so thankful that they exist and so thankful for what they do. But I never neglect to look down on what God is doing in the quieter, more subtle movements within his people too. Oftentimes, you look back, if you study revivals and you study all these different moments throughout history, it was in small prayer gatherings, small worship services, that huge things were birthed out of. According to Paul, we can have thanksgiving because regardless of how things might look or feel on the surface through the lens of however we want to culturally judge a church context, if God is moving and the gospel is growing, then it's reason to celebrate. It's reason to praise God and thank thank him for what he's doing. And I thank God that we have that in our community right now. It has been an incredible, fun season of seeing God do some incredible things. Baptisms, new folks jumping in, reaching students for the first time in a few years. Like, God has been doing something really special. And it's easy to want to step back on the back wall like I often do when I'm operating in that sound booth back there on a Sunday and think, wow, Sunday felt kind of small. Last week we were a lot bigger. That's disappointing. That's sad. But then if I just stepped out of that back row and I stepped in here and I started talking to y'all, about what God's doing in your life, about the people that you care about, that you're praying for, that you're evangelizing to, all of a sudden we'd start to recognize, no, God's doing something really special in here. We might not see it from like this crazy far out view all the time. We might not be the church with the huge LED wall, though I I pray someday Chris approves that budget request. That's going to be a long, long ways away. Um, we, we might not have the most robust and put together programs and all these kinds of things, but I can tell you the gospel is working in and through this community, and it's a special thing to get to be a part of. 
So Paul is ultimately grateful for the community um, and the work that God is doing in and through them. Um, He does have some concerns that we'll jump into as the weeks come along, like we talked about. Um, It appeared there were some people that were challenging the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Was he just a man? Did he even exist? Did he demonstrate the power that you all say he did? Um, People were challenging some of the norms and beliefs about who Jesus was. And from that, uh, naturally, that's going to have some implications on how seriously you take his commands. It's going gonna, it's gonna to challenge, like, why would I follow this guy in the way that he commanded me to if now all of a sudden I can't trust all these claims that I believed? And so Paul had some concerns, but it's just laced with this incredible, beautiful, like gospel-centered thankfulness. Um, and that's, that's not the case for all of the letters that we jump into in the Bible. Go read like First and Second Corinthians. There's some pretty rough things um, that Paul had to address. And um, all this together, like this Thanksgiving and, and in the background, like this, this heart about, hey, we're going we're gonna to really explore who Jesus is and why this is important. It feels this like really beautiful prayer that I, I just want to read for you again. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's several points that we could unpack on this. I I mean, that's why we're doing a whole series on this book. Um, But I I just have a few that I, I want to kind of sit in here for the remainder of this message. The first is um, Paul notes that he desires to see the church grow in the knowledge of God and that we would grow in wisdom and understanding. And he gives this really important qualifier there. He says, by the Spirit, by the Spirit, I want you to increase in knowledge of God, wisdom and understanding by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but when I think about growing in knowledge, um, what comes to my mind, because I was a student for like way too long, um, is, is like this rigorous lesson plan that I need to go through in order to attain a certain level of knowledge so that I can be qualified to go apply somewhere else. I need to read a certain book. I need to pick up all these different texts and all these different resources. I need to consult like an expert so I can master this topic and then I'll get to walk out and I can say, yeah, no, look, I I did all the reading. I passed all the quizzes. Um, Yeah, no, I gained knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And on some level, this isn't wrong. It's a perfectly normal way of learning things. Um, But Paul reminds us here, that when growing in the things of God, we have a different source. Paul says that it's the Holy Spirit indwelling in our hearts and minds that informs us. God doesn't prescribe some exact reading plan um, or quizzes for you to grow in uh, how you have the knowledge of God like you would in a college class. Instead, God says, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit and help you grow. Now, does this mean uh, that we get to just coast-free in the Christian life without any effort. 
Unfortunately, no. That would be kind of nice. Um, But in the Gospel of John, John 14, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a helper. He doesn't say that the Holy Spirit is like this override control that I can just click and all of a sudden, boom, look at you. You're made new. you got no issues. You've totally uh, conformed into everything God wants you to have. No, the Holy Spirit is a helper that partners with you, that comes alongside you, that lifts up burdens and weights. It's, it's Christ within you that the Holy Spirit sent so that you would be empowered and able to walk out the life that he's called you to. Unfortunately, um, I think like with this situation of like how much do I have to work and how much does God do for me, we often think of it in terms of like a duality, that it's either kind of like one or the other, that it's either like I've got to go and do all the hard work myself to attain and, and grasp everything that I need to be a good Christian and to obey God and do this, or sometimes we sit in this other side where we say I shouldn't have to do any work. Jesus paid it all. I'm, I'm not responsible for my growth at all, right? Like, Jesus is supposed to do that within me. I think too many people pick the camp of being overly zealous about what the Spirit can do in and through them, so they never take steps to equip themselves properly. They don't hop into that church class when it's offered or when it's made available. They don't dive into this Christian book that would probably inform to like a really specific need or issue within their life, that it would be able to speak wisdom and insight. They don't pick up discipleship resources that their friends are going through, and they loathe those who value knowledge and discredit things like Christian academics. And to folks in this camp, I'd ask the question, because I'm, I'm right there with you. I want the Holy Spirit to be what fuels, what solidifies, what changes. But why wouldn't you want to open yourself up more to what the Holy Spirit could grab and take from in order to use in your life? To give you a whole library, or to give the Holy Spirit a whole library of things that he can draw from. To say, oh, remember that time we took that class and you, this, this nugget that the Holy Spirit just solidified in your heart. Something that you get to take with you. But if you never would have been in that class, if you never would have stepped into that, if you never would have opened that book, listened to that podcast, that nugget's not going to just like magically pop up all the time. There's times God does miraculous things like that where he speaks to us. But oftentimes, God uses the things that we've been exposed to through the people around us, through the resources we've considered, and God uses those things by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then the other side of this duality can get so caught up in knowledge and learning that like when you hear someone talking about like Christian podcasts they listen to or all these books that they've read, degrees that they have, and you're sitting there thinking like, well, why hasn't this equated in more fruit in your life? Like you are always in these resources, but this has not changed this or that. Like you've saturated your life in all of these kinds of things it doesn't seem to make that big of a difference. I was more in this camp um, and tend to still lean towards it. I have to, it's, a, it's an active thing in my life. I still have to submit to God. Um, I was always recommending the best books. My name is Casey. A lot of my friends call me Case. I had this funny little thing I would do on Instagram for a long time, the book case, uh, where I would like highlight a book from my, and, and like people would actually buy them. Like I, I was shocked the amount of people that were going out and being like, I read this book that you posted about on your Instagram. It was so good. Thanks for recommending that. And, you know, it was, it was wild to me. Um, 
And then I, I also would listen to like every Christian podcast you could hear of and just took any reference, anything. Someone would say, oh, you got to listen to that sometimes. Like, I'm going to make time to listen to that because I need to listen to this. But a lot of what I learned throughout that season of my life never really solidified into anything tangible. It never set in as this thing that was actually like shaping and molding me. It was just head knowledge to brag about or have meaningless conversations about whenever the right time came up. I'm grateful for people in my life, like Pastor Seth, who we got to meet last week, who saw this in me and warned me as I was applying for seminaries. I was thinking about it. Um, when I used to work at our church in Corvallis, he said, you got to be careful. I see this. You love knowledge. You love learning these things and being able to write papers on these kinds of things. But don't let that be where it stops. It's got to keep going. It's got to be something else. And I'm grateful for Pastor Chris, who gets to help remind me of that. He reminded me of that for three years when I was going through seminary. I'm always making sure I was thinking about these things in a practical way. And it's funny, as God changed this in me, I began to notice how toxic it really was um, to be all about knowledge, but not concerned with it resulting in anything I would walk into seminary classes with brilliant women, uh, men and women who would be talking about all these like complex theological things, talking about these like Dutch Reformed theologians that I had never heard of, and I was so intimidated when I first got into my seminary classes. And then I realized, y'all are not prepared to go teach in the church. Y'all are not prepared to go actually talk to a non-Christian about faith. You have all this head knowledge. You know all these beautiful quotes, and your library is filled with people that I can't even pronounce their names. But it's not resulting in what this is supposed to result in. It lacks substance and heart because all it was was knowledge for them to acquire. As we pray to receive knowledge, the knowledge of God, wisdom, and understanding, we need to invite the Holy Spirit into that process so that there's more substance to it. Nowadays, I try not to read a book without stepping aside and saying, okay, how am I going to practically apply this? And I should more oftenly prayerfully say, God, help me apply this. Holy Spirit, I need you. Because otherwise, this thing is just going to go in one ear and out the other, and I'll never think about it. I can't even tell you. It's, it can be so embarrassing sometimes. I have a lot of books, and I'll have some friends be like, have you read all of these? And I'm like, I've read a lot of them. And they'll say, was this one good? And I'm like, I think so. I don't know. I was reading that in that season where I just didn't really care about, like, actually trying to learn this to practice it. It was just to know it. And um, the Holy Spirit is a critical piece for us to grow so that we can actually apply the knowledge that God wants to form deep within us. Paul does not simply stop at knowledge. He wants followers of Christ to receive knowledge and wisdom through the Holy Spirit that leads to obedience, or knowledge that leads to change or application. It's fun to learn things. Uh, I listen to this podcast called Stuff You Should Know. Uh, the two hosts, Josh and Chuck, conduct a ton of research on just random, dumb topics. And then they get together and they do a 45-minute podcast episode on whatever topic they were assigned to. Over the years, I've enjoyed uh, listening to them talk about true crime mysteries, how MRI machines work, how the interstate system works, and other random obscure topics. And it's been a great resource for long drives and slow, monotonous work. 
Um, these topics are fun to know, and they've informed uh, some fun conversation starters and fun facts. Um, I can often, poor Jess, all the time is probably hearing me say like, oh, I listened to a Stuff You Should Know podcast once about something like this. And, um, but all that knowledge, all these things, it doesn't change me. It doesn't like inform how I live, or it doesn't inform how I act, or make me any different, because I can just tell you something about the history of Central Park. According to Paul, when the Spirit gives us wisdom and understanding, it leads to change. Paul says that the wisdom and knowledge we receive is, and this is Colossians 1, 10 through 11, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. The knowledge of God is not about heady podcast knowledge that goes in one ear and out the other. This is life transformational wisdom and understanding that leads you to produce fruit throughout your life. It changes you from a life of, of sin and selfishness and pride, and it urges you towards love and service and sacrifice. The Holy Spirit in us makes us live differently. And this image of bearing fruit might be well contrasted with like another plant like wheat. When wheat grows, it shoots up, it sprouts flowers, releases seeds, and then it dies. It's just done. And then the seeds grow back up the next year. And it's just this death cycle. It produces fruit, and then it dies. Paul, I think, really strategically chooses something like fruit here. Because when you think of something like a fruit tree... Um, there's like a cyclical nature to it. It's as long as that plant is rooted in the proper environment, it is going to grow plants again, or it's going to produce fruit again in the next season. God wants to use you to produce fruit over and over and over again throughout your life. For every season of life, for every condition or status your life might be in, God wants to produce fruit. Many say, I'm too young. I, I want to have fun in college. I want to just do me, have a good time, and then, you know, like, I'll figure this God thing out on the tail end. Unfortunately, statistically say, uh, at much higher odds, you get saved in college and that you won't afterwards if you're not a follower of Jesus. On the other hand, some people say, I'm too old. I don't have anything relevant to give. God doesn't, like... I don't know how to connect with people in my church. I'm out of this season of my life. I'm too old. I don't, I don't have anything to give. And it's just simply not true. Whether you're young or old, somewhere in between, God can and will do amazing things if you open yourself to the Holy Spirit. Invite him to plant dreams and pictures and images and ideas of things that you could fill your life with purpose so that you can go out and produce fruit for every season of your life, God wants to produce fruit in and through you. And as you produce fruit, God will build up endurance, patience, and joy. And I don't know about you, but I can be a little moody at times. Um, when things just aren't going your way throughout a day, or maybe your morning was off to a tough start, that's always the one for me. I like need my morning time, and when that gets like sped up or disrupted, I just I am done until I get like an afternoon nap or something. 
And like you can feel like the sharp edges around you. And on some level, you almost hope that like everyone else does too. Like sometimes like just things disrupt us. Circumstances, opposing thoughts, various seasons of our lives can just have a way of disrupting our hope and our peace. And when your back is against the wall, it's easy to give up on hope and turn towards something else to be a source of peace and hope in your life. All of a sudden, a few bad circumstances can have us relying on things that we know we shouldn't be relying on, shouldn't be putting my value in this, shouldn't be putting my worth and significance in this, my purpose, my hope, my joy, these people. But all of a sudden, we found ourselves. Christ isn't at the core anymore. Now, all of a sudden, we've replaced it. We lean on a whole lot of other things to be our, our hope. I hear these stories a lot since I worked for a church. And um, I see a lot of people who once exemplified like just sincere, authentic joy for the Lord. A life of service and love. They loved community. They were vulnerable. They were honest. They lived on mission and they served. They loved the gospel and it was just blossoming all throughout their life. And all of a sudden it can just seem like they once were this bright lamp and now they're just like this dim light of who they once were. And if you ask the right questions when you talk through just circumstances with somebody in these kinds of situations, you can typically find that it traces back to a circumstance or a series of circumstances that led to them um, no longer having Christ at the core of whatever their peace and their hope was. It might have been a series of events, a broken relationship, um, significant moments where they just stopped putting Christ at the core. Stopped relying on his wisdom, his strength, and they began trusting in something else to get them by. Paul's note about endurance and patience and joy here at the end is so critical to hear because it's so easy to lose these things. When we stop putting Christ at the core of our wisdom and strength, we begin to be worn down by the road that we have to walk on as we're trying to navigate every bump and hurdle and detail of our life. and We lose the hope that we once had. But when Christ is at the core and your hope is in him and what he has done, then no circumstance, no relationship, no down season, nothing can rob you of your ultimate hope and joy. He gives you strength to persevere and endure and invites you to continue walking ahead, producing fruit and trusting in him. Paul writes in verse 13 and 14 about what our hope is. He says, for he, meaning God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When this is our hope, the gospel message, that Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, he died the death we deserved, and now he's made us all sons and daughters of the God Most High, there's nothing that can take away your hope and your joy. Worship team, you can come on up. The truth about this passage um, for us today is that we're really just beginning to unpack a whole series of things that this whole book is going to be about. Um, this is like the introduction. So if you, I know oftentimes when we read books, we skip over the introduction and we just go to chapter one. Um, but oftentimes the, in the introduction of a book, um, they say, this is what I'm going to talk about for the next several chapters. Section one is going to be about this. Section two is going to be about this. And that's kind of what we get in this verse. And so today, we are going to kind of end on a little bit of an awkward note because we've got a lot of great things to dive into over the next eight weeks. We're going to get to work through the significance of what Jesus Christ has done and what he offers us. 
how completely inadequate that we are to create this life of fruit and purpose and how badly we need what he's done and who he sent, the Holy Spirit. And as we do this, we will find an enduring hope that perseveres against temptation, despair, brokenness, and pride. I want to leave you with this question as we conclude. What is the root of your confidence? If you're a follower of Jesus, the easy answer is Jesus. But is he really? If we were to watch like instant replays in different situations and environments at your work, in your home, all throughout your life, would you be able to say like, Jesus was at the core in that moment. Jesus was who I leaned on. He was who I looked to for wisdom and strength. Or would we say, no, it actually feels like I actually leaned into this or that. What is the root of your confidence? Is Jesus just a fallback when you've maybe hit your limit or your wit's end, the money's tight, relationships are bad, you're feeling lonely, and finally you say, I'm gonna, fine, I'm gonna pray about it. I'm gonna seek my Father about it. I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to do something. Or is this a constant, continuing, Paul at the very beginning of this, he says, pray continually that this would be the reality in your life. This wouldn't just be some seasonal thing that when you hit the wall that all of a sudden now you're like, okay, I'll open myself up to you, Jesus. I'll invite you into this now. What does it look like for Christ to be at the core? Because when he's at the core, we will receive strength like we never could imagine. Christ was the only thing that Paul could stand on, and it was the only thing that he could point the Colossians to. And it's the same thing for us. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for Paul's letter to the Colossians. God, we invite you to fill us with ambition and hope. God, so many of us leaning on different things, all of us on some level, leaning on things for hope and joy and purpose that need to be put to death need to be set aside. If Jesus is not at the core, God, we are utterly doomed. So God, I pray over the coming weeks that you would make us vulnerable, that you would make us open, that we would be willing to read these verses, to listen and reflect on these messages, to invite you, Holy Spirit, to change us turn us away from the idols of our flesh, turn us away from selfishness and pride so that we might authentically love and serve you and always, always, always put Christ at the core because that's where he deserves to be. We invite you to do this in Jesus' name, amen.